there was this whole question of slavery in the United States, which slaves, as we were miscalled, were doing unpaid labor. And the present day value of such labor is estimated at $1.4 trillion. We were oppressed, uh, discriminated against, we were made second-class citizens. When you, you study this whole concept of Africans in America, you, you realize what incredible contributions Africans in, in their capacity of being oppressed uh, contributed mightily. Powerful words from someone who was in a position of power, but passed away still feeling like he had more work to do. It's a lifetime of work when you try to right the wrongs of the history of the United States. Welcome to this special episode of Before You Go, I'm Bryant Monte. I'm Nicole Franklin. And like so many people intend to do, well, Nicole, it seems you had the opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone who spent a lifetime making history. Yes, someone who is no longer with us, but leaves a legacy. So you got to tell me, what was it like speaking with Congressman John James Conyers Jr.? When I went to Detroit, I remember you and I speaking afterward. I had a really long answer to your question, how'd it go? Yes, it was definitely a big day. It was. I'll spare our listeners the play-by-play, -play, but I will say Congressman Conyers was as charming, knowledgeable, and determined when it came to his life's work as a lawmaker. He was accomplished, but I had suspected being a lawmaker who had to resign. Well, you know, actually on government websites, he's listed as retired, mm -hmm. but having to step down before successfully forming a commission just to study the case for reparations for African-Americans in this country. I mean, having to leave his post before that was complete had to be difficult. That's the H.R. 40 bill, which is a commission to study and develop reparation proposals for African-Americans Act. Yes, all it is is a commission, not an invoice. Now, when it came to civil rights, the congressman was on the front lines. And I recall that he was one of the lawmakers who introduced the idea of a Martin Luther King national holiday nearly 15 years before it happened. Mm, stamina seems to be the necessary quality when involved in this work for sure. Conyers was the representative of his hometown Detroit, Michigan from 1965 through 2017. You know, he spent his tenure serving on the House Judiciary Committee and Bryant before he was elected, he was a lawyer. And in 1963, he was recognized by President John F. Kennedy. Kennedy had appointed him to a committee known as the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law. So civil rights was his life's work. Now, Nicole, you were one of the last journalists to interview the congressman before he passed. I was. We met in the summer of 2018. And as we record this podcast in 2021, the H.R. 40 bill is back in conversation in the U.S. House of Representatives. I mean, we hear how some form of reparations have happened for a number of ethnic communities in the United States. 
But when it comes to African-Americans, it all boils down to stamina. Oh, yes. Guess it's time to listen in. Now, here is Congressman John Conyers speaking with Nicole Franklin at his home in Detroit, Michigan, on August 22nd, 2018. Did you enjoy your years in Congress? Let's start there. (laughs) I, I loved it. When I was elected, this was the first office I'd ever run for, although I had worked for the member of Congress who was my congressman, John Dingell. And then it became clear to me that I could become a member myself. I'm sometimes amazed when I, uh, I'm campaigning and I have a, what appears to be an ordinary working American, African-American, who says, I don't vote. And uh, it's shocking to me. The, the reason you originally didn't vote is because the forces that operate in our political system wouldn't let you vote. And what we want to do is get you to exercise. Your vote is your voice. And if you're not voting, then uh, who knows what the people that are voting may or may not do uh, to help you in, in all of the issues that are related to this. How do we create a fair society? How do we create an education system that allows you, allows us to prepare our young people for the future. Uh, And you have to have the vote to have your your views heard and uh, developed and become a reality. We now have places where black elected officials are representing more white citizens and voters uh, than black. We, we used to merely represent, we were trying to break things down in the South and just to get African-Americans representing themselves. Now, people uh, are choosing African-Americans to represent them where people of color are a minority. So when you were proposing the reparations committee and the commission, you met a lot of resistance. Can you talk about who said no, who said please stop, who said put this away, stop doing this, John, (laughs) instead Mm -hmm. of like, you know, talk about the resistance to your efforts. Yeah, well, there, there were some that felt that this was more of a uh, ambitious uh, approach by myself that didn't have much historical significance. And it was, it was in that sense that there were people who were, and organizations too, uh, who, who felt that 
this was a uh, fool's errand. It, it's, it's a project that doesn't mean anything, especially when I hadn't won. I, before I got elected, there were a number of reservations, number of people that were doubters, and then there were other people, a considerable number, who were just saying, well, I don't know whether this is a particularly good idea or not. Let's talk about one of the people who may have resisted the, the bill, the H.R. 40 bill, um, Nancy Pelosi. What was her thoughts on you presenting that, especially in a time of Barack Obama? Well, <clears throat> Nancy Pelosi was a person whom I met before she became a congresswoman. And we were good friends. She was uh, not opposed. She didn't perhaps quite understand the uh, deep historic significance of this, but uh, she, she, she didn't uh, interfere with my activities in any way, and uh, we got along just fine, and still do today. <laughs> She's, she does seem lovely. I actually, I'm always rooting for her. But um, if you had a black president, and you're, you were the chief of the, the head of the Judiciary Committee um, during the time of Barack Obama, how come the bill didn't go through, the H.R. 40 bill? Was Obama the opposition? Uh, he wasn't the opposition, but he probably didn't give us much support. Uh, President uh, Barack Obama knew about this measure. I think he may, I'll have to check, uh, have supported when he was a, himself was a senator in the Senate. But we always got along well. I think, I think he was a, a little reluctant to get into it too much because his critics would think that this is self-serving, that uh, it's not worthwhile uh, for him uh, to lend his weight into it. But he was a distinguished and able legislator, and we developed uh, a close friendship that exists even now. And uh, it was uh, of such a consequence that, uh, that we were able to elect an African-American. There were uh, all kinds of uh, strategies that were used to try to diminish his importance as the first African-American president. Uh, but he was unstoppable. He never, he never uh, gave up or toned down his, uh, his uh, support for the whole idea that uh, we need a commission 
to study reparations and to document uh, what happened in uh, many areas. Now, in the Northeast, Boston and New York, there was more interest and activity going on than in other places. Each state uh, makes an interesting study of who was for it, who was against it, and uh, who were uncommitted. What does the title mean, H.R. 40? What is it, where did that come from? H.R. Uh, 40, uh, was that 40 acres and a mule? I, I suppose that it was. Uh, Who named it? Did you name it or did a friend of yours name it? No, I, I think uh, the group that was working with me on it, we, we all named it together. We, we all agreed that that was a good way to start off. Was 40 acres? Mm-hmm. 40 acres and a mule. And uh, it, it had a historic ring to it. It wasn't just a numerical assignment by the uh, people in the House of Representatives. How frustrating was it when people didn't understand what you were talking about? Well, your own <clears throat> colleagues, when they didn't understand how important, how frustrating was that for you? Well, the kinds of issues that, that I've developed over the years in Congress, jobs, justice, and peace. And so there were a lot of things. We're still working on a full employment uh, strategy. Uh, there's no reason why the wealthiest and most powerful nation in history can't create a domestic economic system in which we work to maximize everybody's contribution. We don't need uh, unemployment numbers, and thankfully, uh, they've been going down, even though the technology for more participation by groups and individuals and organizations uh, continues to rise. And so we, we feel that's a, a, a confidence uh, that comes out of us really uh, understanding that uh, HR 40, the commission to study and develop reparation proposals. The question is that we don't just celebrate uh, the fact that African Americans have and still do and will continue to play a huge role in the, in the at, at the, both the national and international level. How much money should African Americans get? And once you get that much money, what do you do with it? So I know that it had been mentioned in an essay that you had written um, with a friend of yours. You cited um, a professor who said, I think five to 10 trillion 
it sounds about right. <laughs> if you were to put a figure on it, is I mean, can you put a figure on it? And if you were to put a figure on it, then what do you do with the funds? Well, I, I think that they would be used to uh, further uh, the uh, whole notion that that there's been a, a tremendous wrong subjected to African Americans and that we have to do this to become full-fledged citizens with the same opportunities educationally and economically. And the education part becomes more important because it's absolutely critical as we move into more and more uh, complex technological skills that people get the kinds of education that prepares them for a 21st century uh, existence uh, in this great land. What reparations means to uh, our citizens of the great state of Michigan is very important because we, we are not a people without a history, and, and many of our histories are different. Where did we come from? What part of Africa? Uh, what were the customs? Are we able to trace our ancestors back uh, to the motherland? And I think that's so, so critical. You talked about having just an apology even from the U.S. government and the U.S. Congress plus the reparations as something that would unite the black community. Is that still, you think, the most powerful result of if they were to move forward and act? I, th I think that uh, the involvement of our government in going back to when we were originally brought over here is absolutely critical. And I think there's an increased amount of research coming out of uh, many of the colleges and universities dealing with this subject. You, you realize what incredible contributions Amer Africans in, in their capacity of being oppressed uh, contributed mightily, but things got so bad that we had to amend the Constitution of the United States, the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and the 15th Amendment. And then think with me about the way they tried to limit in, in the uh, 19th century the black codes that enacted were enacted to severely limit the protections of African Americans, and then to put the icing on the the segregationist cake. The United States Supreme Court said, "Well, we're, we're going to allow separate but equal Plessy." versus Ferguson, 
of the Supreme Court case, which is, resulted in separate but very unequal societies. So Jim Crow laws were formerly used and sometimes they were overt. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan is a large organization even today and, and they make no bones about it. Your commission would have called for an apology from the Congress, U.S. Congress, the United States government. What do you think an apology should look like? Well, first of all, the apology should be sincere. But that's just the beginning. The question is, if you're apologizing for something that was wrong, cause so much misery and suffering, the question is, what are you going to do about it? There has always been this reluctance on the part of many of our white citizens who felt that this was a bit much and that we shouldn't get involved in this. It's a, more or less a an African-American effort and let them do what they will. But we've had a reaction, a backlash, that people now are publicly announcing and forming organizations that declare that white supremacy is the rule of the land and the law of the land and that that if if we can promote an African American agenda that they should be able to promote a all white agenda. And amazingly enough, as we've seen, it's grown. There are more people than I thought uh, would would ever happen to that have come out saying, Yes, that's right. We want to we want to support the right to be white, and that we uh, are proud of it, and we we want to keep that idea of racial separation alive and well. And actually, there is a a formidable movement in this country, which to me may have been sparked by the support and energy of uh, promoting uh, a proposal for studying and developing uh, a, a, an African-American uh, project like HR 40. We've had tremendous uh, discussions and meetings and marches about this. The one thing that has been very helpful to us is that we have uh, joined in support of the women's movement in this country, which is now taking on much more political significance. And we think, we think that we are are gaining in 
understanding and teaching and practicing the fact that it's critical. We have a segregation-free society. And for those reasons, I support the women's movement and encourage and applaud their cooperation with us as we move forward on both of these fronts, as a matter of fact. What do you want to leave as your legacy when it comes to HR 40? What is, when, when it's 50 years from now and all of us are gone, what do you want people to remember about HR 40 and your role, your motivation, your push, your legacy with this whole um, idea that reparations, we should demand them, we should fight for them? Well, I, I can't create my legacy, but my life work, my choices of what I think is important to, to be done. I know Martin, Dr. King used uh, this jobs, justice, and peace. And it's important that he put peace on the end there because otherwise we could uh, devolve into uh, just warring political factions, a lot of uh, exchange of violent language and violence itself. And so what, what is important is that we reduce the uh, whole system of violence that African-Americans sustain. Lynching used to be a, a very common thing that could happen anywhere, uh, uh, but of course more especially in the South. And so we continue to police this. The Department of Justice, the United States Department of Justice, has a whole section that's working diligently to stamp out uh, organizations or individual acts of conduct. The courts, for the most part, are working with us now. It's, it's, we've, we've come a long, long way. So you sound like a man of optimism. Yes, I, I, I am optimistic. I'm gonna continue to work with this. The churches have played a very large role in this now. The unions are doing a lot. And uh, just the teaching of this aspect of our history to, uh, in schools and in books, all make it more important than ever. And so the struggle goes on. The work is still out there in front of us. And I look forward uh, to the months and years ahead when we will uh, be making even greater advances toward making this a free and equal and just society. Well, that's quite beautiful. That's a beautiful sentiment. Well, it, it's what I believe in, and, and I, think, I think we're going to make some good, good progress. I think I have 
not met too many people who have had so much faith in the government before. (laughs) 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 So this is refreshing. (laughs) I mean, the fact that you've been there and you still have all this faith, I mean, that's, I think that's really impressive. Well, thank you. And I appreciate uh, the fact that we've spent this time talking and exchanging ideas. And I appreciated that time, too. Now, he seemed to have left clear instructions. I agree. And in honor of the congressman, I suspect you and I will follow any and all progress of the H.R. 40 bill. We absolutely will. And please, everyone listening, keep up with us on our website, beforeyougo.tv. That's beforeyougo.tv. We'll let you know what we find out. And while at our website, beforeyougo.tv, you can connect with us. And if there is someone you would like to suggest we interview, especially a history maker, such as the congressman, let us know at beforeyougo.tv. And while we thumb through all of your submissions, please take time and have a conversation with your loved ones and acquaintances who have history of their own to share. Those are life's Bible moments. So before we go, we want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes just a phone call away. Might be time to pick up the phone. There's no time like the present. What a gift. Before You Go is an Epiphany Inc. production. Hear more from Nicole Franklin and Bryant Monte at beforeyougo.tv.